It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Harold, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yeah, hi. Um, I just sold a house uh, about 120000 or so and about to buy a $195,000 new house. Uh-huh. And I'm going to have about uh, $70,000 of equity in the new house. And I've been wondering... Whether or not uh, I'd be better off uh, taking a shorter term or uh, sticking with the 30-year, I probably couldn't go all the way down to a 15, but I might be able to, to get a 20 or something. And I was wondering whether or not it'd be worth it for me to, uh, to shorten my term uh, rather than uh, paying out 30 years. Tell me a little bit about your situation. First of all, Harold, how old are you? Uh, 42. You're 42 years old, married or single? Married. Married. And children living at home are gone? Yes, two children, uh, about 11 and 13. All right. Uh, what's your income level? Uh, combined, it's about uh, eighty-five to 90000 right. um, Do both of you all have solid income, or is any one of you in danger of losing your income? Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty stable. All right. Eighty-five to ninety income. Do you know what your living expenses are running? Three to 4000 I guess. All right. So we'll say you're spending 4000 a month, and... Uh, what what is your personal investment portfolio look like right now? What do you own? We're, we're putting uh, we're probably about uh, we've probably got maybe uh, thirty five to forty thousand in uh, mostly mutual funds. Uh, you got thirty five to forty thousand in what kind of bond funds and stock funds? Both? Yeah, basically both of those. All right. And what do you have in cash equivalents? Uh, probably about uh, ten to twelve thousand. All right, and. Any other thing in real estate apartment, uh, real estate uh, uh, partnerships or equipment or anything else? No, no. Okay, so your investment portfolio right now is looking about thirty-five to forty thousand, and then you've got emergency money of ten to twelve thousand. That's right. That's How right. about your retirement funds? Anything in retirement accounts? Uh, I've got some IRAs, uh, but uh, really just started building them up. I don't uh, really have a significant. Uh, I suppose I've, I got a I got a rollover from a four hundred one k where I've got about. Uh, Maybe ten or eleven thousand in that four hundred one k right now, so I don't really have that much there yet. Why? By the way, why did you not roll it into an IRA from the last job? Why did you roll it into your new four hundred one k? No, I, no, it was a four hundred one k, and I rolled it. I did roll, roll it into it an in, IRA. Oh, so you've got it in an IRA? Right, I've got it in an IRA. Good. Yeah. And where is that? In a mutual fund? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Well, let's go now to the question. So you're asking a cash flow question, Harold, and your mortgage. Now, you've got a $195,000 home, or that's the one you're buying right now. That's right. And what is the mortgage, What what's the down payment, and what, and what is it that you're thinking of down, borrowing? Down payment, about $70,000. i am going to borrow about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and twenty-five. All right. I guess my first observation would be, why are you putting $70,000 down? Or is that the question that you're asking, should you be putting Well, Well, that's, that's what I got out of my other house. Right. Well, that doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, actually, if you got it out of your house, I would have advised you if your income is solid, you're making eighty-five to ninety thousand a year. You're only spending forty-eight thousand a year. That means you're you're you've got a significant excess monthly. Both your jobs are solid. I would go ahead and I would have taken the lump sum equity and put that into a personal investment portfolio, and put down a minimum down payment. For example, I'd have taken your hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars. For example. Oh, and let's say put down about 35000 as a down payment. Right. Then I would have gone ahead and taken the $35,000 uh, and 
financed the 160 balance, and I would have gone out 30 years. The difference is that 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 allows you to put more monthly into an investment plan. Right. And if you run the numbers out over a five or 10 year period, where you're able now to save an additional thousand or fifteen hundred a month by going this route, you will accumulate far more than you would in the paydown of the equity on your home by trying to shorten the term of your mortgage. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, what I've been looking at though was uh, the only solid figures I really had was the uh, all the interest that I'd pay over thirty years Don't, on a thirty year mortgage. Yeah, that that that's that's a very very fallacious approach. Don't look at that one. What you look at is how much money you'll make with the difference. If you're disciplined enough to set up a pay-yourself-first investment plan, you take $1,000 a month and run that out over 30 years, and you'll accumulate maybe a third of a million dollars. Right. Now, yes, you may end up paying about, you know, an extra seventy-five or $100,000 in mortgage interest to get that third of a million. Yeah. But big deal. Right. Not only that, Uncle Sam is going to pay a third of it for, about a third of it for you. Right. Because when you're making eighty-five to ninety thousand dollars a year income, you can use all the tax relief you can get. That's right. And the only thing that you can do to help bring your taxes down is to get the maximum interest that you can on your mortgage, with the exception of charitable contributions. Right. So I personally would go ahead and take the equity out of the house that on the old house, put it into an investment. Well, actually, I'd put it into several investments, and I would have an asset allocation pattern. I'd spread the money equally amongst a number of different funds. And then I would set up and make sure that I had the delta, the difference that you had now saved on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, on the 30 year mortgage mm-hmm. and make that be added to your investment portfolio. And I think that you'll come out far ahead. Okay. I sure hope that helps, Harold. Yeah, it certainly helps. Certainly yeah, and if you want any further information, Harold, yeah. just give me a call at the office at 872-7000. I got it. All right, thanks for calling. Thank you. Well, Doug, what's new in the area of retirement planning? Well, Lynn, it's a good time to look at retirement planning, and I have come across a retirement income needs checklist, which I thought was very good. Because, you know, Lynn, preparing for retirement should begin as early as possible in your working life, but if you have put the task off, Now's the time for most people to make definite plans. And using the checklist I'm going to give you as a guide, you can survey your progress thus far, see how much further you've got to go to meet your objectives, to find what most people are trying to find is a financially secure retirement. So let's go for a checklist. Number one, analyze. Analyze your present situation, your income, your expenses, your assets and liabilities. So Doug, first of all, anyone that's, thinking of retiring or planning to retire should look at their expenses, right? Their income, the inflow, the outflow, right, and all of their assets and liabilities. Analyze where you're at, your income and your expenses, what okay. you own and what you owe. All righty. Number two, determine which of those expenses are likely to decrease after you retire and which ones are likely to increase. Okay, so the second thing is... Analyze what's going to happen to these expenses when you retire, right? Right. For many people, certain expenses drop off for, and other expenses increase, like travel. Vacation very often increases after you retire. Yeah, you won't need to buy those new suits, but you might want to buy some fun play clothes, right? <laughs> right. Or plane tickets. Yeah. Number three, set your annual and your monthly financial retirement goals. So number three is set goals for retirement. Right. Find out what you're going to need to spend each month and balance it against what's coming in each month. Okay. Number four, find how much you can expect to receive from Social Security, from veterans benefits, and your pension plans. Okay, so number four is find out what you'll receive from Social Security. Usually if you call any one of these sources, they'll... Well, Social Security will send you a worksheet, a uh, request for a worksheet, and they'll send you back an estimate of what you should be able to get on Social Security. Okay, that sounds great. All right, so let's go back again now. Number one, analyze your present situation. Number right. two, determine which of those expenses are likely to increase or decrease at retirement. Number three, set your annual and your monthly financial retirement goals. Number four, find out how much you can receive from Social Security, veterans benefits, and pensions. Number five, estimate how much you should receive from the investment income on your investment portfolio. Okay, so number five, Figure out how much interest you'll get from your investment portfolio or whatever other sources of income. You may have. not be interest, but all of your investment income. Add that in. Investment income. Right. Number six, review the insurance policies you have to see whether you have too much or too little and whether they're going to meet your 
spouse's surviving needs after you pass away. Okay, so make sure that you have enough insurance to cover your needs. Right. And number seven, know the amount that you must begin to set aside now, monthly or yearly, to close the gap between your retirement income goals and your potential retirement income. In other words, start a pay-yourself-first investment plan to build up to the amount that's going to be necessary to produce enough income to cover the shortfall. Okay, so start a a personal portfolio. Well, a personal pay-yourself-first investment plan to meet the shortfall. Right. And number eight, try to pay off the large bills, the significant bills now before retirement to avoid facing them when you retire. Get your debts paid off. And lastly, make sure that you've got enough health insurance in place, especially long-term care insurance. Okay. Well, I think that checklist will be very helpful for some of our people that will be retiring this year in the near future. Those are the nine checkpoints. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Gary, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm 32 years old and I basically have just gotten out of school and uh, just starting to earn a living. Um, I'm looking at a pretty high income rate. I think the rest of my life I earn about $200,000 a year and um, I have saved up about $100,000 now uh-huh. and I'm single and uh, don't really owe anybody anything, but really I'm just at a point now where I'm trying to decide what kind of investments I need to be making and could you give me any advice on that? You're 32 and you're single. Right. Uh, any plans for marriage down the road? Uh, probably within the next uh, two to three years, but none so far. All right. Nothing definite. Okay. Well, the first thing you want to do is you want to work with a certified financial planner to develop what's called an asset allocation model and a long-term financial plan. Okay. You're fortunate in that you've, you're starting with something to allocate. Most people straight out of school don't have an asset base to start with. I've seen young doctors that come out of school who can... You know, hit the street running, making 200000 a year, but they're facing past debts and nothing to start with. Right. So you're fortunate. And the way that I would do that is I would work up a model. If you were my client, I would start with what is the proper unit size. If all we had was 100000 to start with, then I'd probably pick a $10,000 unit size and select 10 investments. Right. Let me ask you in terms of your expenses. Do you know what your living expenses are, Gary? Uh, they're pretty minimal. I, I bought a house this year, and uh, my monthly house payment is about $950 a month. And uh, then just basic electricity, food, and clothing, uh, it's pretty minimal. I wouldn't think it would be more than $1,500 a month. Well, I'm sure that you're far under what you think you're spending, but the, 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 the most important thing is to do a living expense needs analysis to come up with what we call the net margin. Okay. And uh, if you call the office, Linda will help you get that together. But the living expense analysis, whatever it comes out to be, let's say you're spending 30000 a year. Right. And then we find out your taxes and we add that on. The difference between what you're spending and what you're bringing in is called your margin. Okay. So let's say that you end up with 120000 or $100,000 margin. Okay. Then you want to divide that by 12, and that money needs to be invested monthly into this asset allocation model that we've picked. Right. In other words, you should have a debt-to-equity ratio in that model. You don't want to be in, well, I'll have X number of dollars in stocks, X number of dollars in bonds, and X number in cash. That's not the way to do it. Okay. You want to be in managed monies, in my opinion. I like the I like setting up multi-fund investments, uh, investment pools, where we're doing a pool of mutual funds and real estate and equipment and so forth, but where all of these are pools of money so that we're actually hiring a series of managers, if you will, rather than trying to select the top stock or the top bond. I see. You see what I'm saying? Right. And then we also want to go ahead and we want to look at what's your risk tolerance. Right. But you really need to be doing it with the help of a planner who can do it according to a model. In other words, you've got to have a model set up and a tracking system that will look at the estate, the investment portfolio, the retirement plan, the in- the uh, the income tax liability, and do the entire thing simultaneously for you. Where do you have the money's uh, position now, Gary? Uh, you, you won't believe it, but I put it all in a checking account. I've been, <laughs> he's right. I'm a doctor, and I've been uh, you know just <laughs> the last nine months I've been out of all my training, and now oh, I'm making a lot of money and have no time <laughs> to invest it. So I thought the safest thing 
to do is just to put it into the bank. Well, on the one hand, you're fortunate that you haven't blown it. Right. Uh, but you really need to start with an advisor. If you're a doctor, it's the same thing as if you were calling in, speaking to Dr. Dean Odell or whatever, and right. saying, hello, I've got a pain in my head. I'd like to know how do I go ahead and cut this, this, this hole in my head and take care of it. Right. You don't do surgery on yourself. Right. If you call the office here in Raleigh at area code 919-USA-7000, that's 919-872-7000, and I know that we're losing you. Right. So take care and good luck. All right, take care, Gary. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of retirement planning? There is something that's changing as the family structure is changing. Really, with parents living longer and longer and longer, somebody is going to have to take care of these aging parents, and that somebody really is falling to those children who are in the 50-year-old age bracket. You know, suppose you're about to enter your golden years and you have a, a parent who's increasingly likely to be frail in their 80s. You know, here you are looking at your own retirement and you've got to take care of parents in their 80s and the crunch is really coming from the top and from the bottom. About 70% of married people ages 51 to 61 have four-generation families, including elderly parents and children who've had children of their own. It's really amazing, isn't it, Linda? Not only that, another 25% have three generations, three generations living at one time. Nearly half of single grandmothers give 20 hours of care to their grandchildren weekly, and for married grandmothers, 15 hours. And as far as grandfathers are concerned, 16% of single grandfathers care for grandkids 10 hours each week. Women are the most likely to provide personal care for the elderly parents. In other words, the personal care, most likely it's the woman, the daughter, who is providing care for their parents. And yet men are more likely to give the financial support. Two-thirds of Americans this age are in excellent or good health but many others say that they are too disabled to work. I believe it was last week uh, a client had come in and we were discussing about a live-in situation for an elderly parent. I believe her father uh, has to have some assistance with uh, insulin, mm-hmm. and and she and her sister are bearing this responsibility. And that's happening a lot with a lot of our uh, people in the 50s to 60s taking care of elderly parents that do need some type of assistance. You're right. She was one of our clients, Linda, and we are seeing more and more folks coming to us in our practice who are looking for their own financial planning, but part of their financial planning is how to take care of their parents. Exactly. And many Americans edging toward retirement face a slew of problems, everything from poor financial security to increased family responsibilities. Those who are now in their 50s who are moving into their pre-retirement years may be facing a much more difficult situation than ever before. And the ones in their 30s right now are going to live entirely on Social Security. They may have a pension. They probably will not have a pension. But Social Security is really going to be the thing that the 30-year-old bracket is going to be facing. So it's getting worse and worse and worse because of this longer and longer longevity. Behind the averages are large proportions of people that are falling into some category, such as ill or disabled, without pensions, without insurance, without assets, or lacking family support. And uh, because I speak to hundreds and hundreds of people that have questions or that are concerned about doing some financial planning in their situation, it's important for people to look at their situation and get an analysis as to whether they're going to be Comfortable at retirement, right? Right, Linda. And I think you probably need to explain to the audience, those who don't know what you just meant by that, when you speak to hundreds by hundreds. When we go off the air, then we live our regular life as financial planners during the week at the office. You've probably spoken to well over 3,000 people in the last couple of years. Yes, that's a lot of hours. And then what happens when they call you? Then what do you do next? Well, usually I find out what is their concern? What is the situation? And then um, they tell me a little bit about their assets and their liabilities and, you know, their situation, whether they're going to retire or they've inherited money or they want to do some college funding, etc. And I send them a packet and I encourage people to write down their questions you in mean a you notebook. Send, you mean they, you send them a packet of information about how to set up an appointment with us as a financial planner? Exactly. 
and some worksheets that might be helpful for them in gathering all of their financial data together because one of the most important things that people can do, and it doesn't cost you anything, is get a legal pad, get that notebook out, leave it on the counter, and start writing the questions and the concerns that you have in your particular situation down. You know, when you're sitting around drinking coffee with your husband, start thinking about these things and writing them down. Sometimes it has to do with revising the trust or... So you, up a will. so you send out the packet, and then what, they all call back and say, now they're ready to schedule an appointment? No, what no, happens? no. Sometimes they do. If people that are serious about doing it, they do set up an, an appointment, and uh, but most of them, they don't. They procrastinate. Yeah, and I think that's your main point, that they just procrastinate. You want to make sure that people actually, once they get excited about doing something, they don't procrastinate and do nothing. Right. Do yourself a favor. Stop procrastinating. And write your questions down and get your situation reviewed or analyzed by a financial planner because one of the things that happens in retirement is that people don't always plan for what happens if my spouse dies. Well, I have enough income, right, Doug? Well, that's right. And we know that all the time. People think about it and think about it, but then all of a sudden a tragedy occurs and it's too late now. They didn't realize their pension, their husband's pension just stopped if it was the spouse or got cut in half. And so on. And if you would like any other information, you can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919-USA-7000. That's 919-872-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. Perry, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Oh, I just wanted to talk and find out whether I should talk with you uh, in the office. Uh, well, what's 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 the deal? What, what's, what's the issue? What it is is, well... I'm trying to figure out whether I've got my stuff right or not. I mean, I uh, have a 401k right now, and I had to roll over one because the corporate I left the uh, company that I had one with before that. Right now, when you when you did your rollover, how much uh, how much was the rollover that you? I'm sorry, a hundred thousand. All right, that was at the old at the old 401k. Yeah. Are you working still? Yeah, but I, I'm yeah with a different company. All right. So and the original one uh, is into an IRA. Uh, okay. All right. right. That's what I wanted to know. And that 401k went into an uh, IRA. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I think that's a much better decision. I commend you for taking that option. Many companies allow you to roll it into the new uh, the new 401k. I didn't want to do that because I didn't like the one that they have. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. And also, you lose control. Yeah. Well, that was that was another thing. All right. Now, how old are you, Perry? Fifty-seven. You're fifty-seven years old. You married or single? I'm married. Married. All right. What's your income? Uh, around 60. All right, around 60,000. Is your wife working? No, not outside the home. Okay, right. But for, I mean, uh, for compensation, this is the no, family. No, that's right. This is the family income. That's it. Okay. I, and what other investments do you have in your personal investment portfolio other than retirement investments? Uh, virtually, I have about 10,000 in, uh, another, in, uh, uh, another mutual fund. All right. And, Anything in cash or CDs or money market? There's about twenty thousand in cash. All right. I have about, I think about twenty twenty five thousand in uh, U.S. bonds. All right. What in double E bonds? A double E, yeah. Right. That well, that's something we want to get rid of along the way as we do an asset allocation. What about your living expenses, Perry? Oh, they aren't bad. I don't have a mortgage. Okay. So. uh got food and clothing and things like that. Right. Do you have any idea how much you're spending on a monthly or an annual basis? Uh, let's see. How much do I get rid of out of my salary? I guess is what you're saying over a year. All right. Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I never really, I don't think about it. Sometimes well, you can back into it. How much do you pay for taxes, first of all? Oh, about five, 5000 for federal, about 2000 Seven. Eight. Three. And how much are you contributing to your 401k? Uh, 10%. That's another six. That brings you down to 47. And I put away... Probably got about 3,000 for FICA. Oh, security. the full, whatever the total is, I hit the top always. Okay, then you may be at 5,000, so you yeah. might be down to 42,000. Amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then food, I know that's uh, about five, between five and 6,000 a year. Well, what you want to do in the financial planning uh, 
arrangement Mm -hmm. is we want to go ahead and start with a needs analysis. Mm -hmm. And yes, it would be probably uh, to your benefit to go ahead and schedule an appointment with Linda, call the office during the week and she can set up a time. And we're going to want to take a look at your living expenses, your assets. Uh, You say you have uh, no mortgage. Any other liabilities? None. All right. Well, that's good. That means that your assets are your net worth. We're gonna want. We're gonna want to go ahead and look at your your both your qualified and your non qualified. And it looks to me like you've got a significant what we call net margin, which means excess income net over expenses. Yeah, I do. I I know that, and that's the thing is I wanted. And that needs to. That's your major. That's the big thing you've got. I'm not happy with your with with. In other words, if all you've got is about fifty thousand dollars in non qualified investment portfolio at your age mm-hmm. and that makes me nervous mm-hmm. and therefore what we need to do is to see how rapidly you can build it using that net margin and in building it build it according to an asset allocation model mm-hmm. uh, and and in that model we will include both the qualified meaning the ira rollover monies and the non-qualified i mm-hmm. uh, it may be that you haven't done anything wrong so far. You just need to go ahead and shift the pieces around. Yeah, that, well, that's that's the thing. Is and uh, I've listened to your program on several occasions, that, and it sounds like you would be the person to talk to that uh, could at least tell me what what I'm doing wrong or how best to take what I have and uh, make the best advantage. Because I I want I really want to essentially I want to retire at 62 or 63 somewhere in there. Yeah, we can do some financial independence and I studies. I will get a uh, retirement fund from the first company that's sitting somewhere. Yeah, well, what you just told what you've just told us is that that your financial independence feasibility study is targeting five years or six years, and we want to run an analysis to find mm-hmm. out whether you'll be able to make it uh, under the assumptions that we build in. That's what I really need to know. Yeah, and um, our number in the Raleigh area, Perry, is eight seven two seven thousand. Yes, sir. USA 7000. And if, you know, in the meantime, if you and your wife would get a notebook and start jotting your questions down, um, and if you'll call me, I'll be happy to send you an introductory packet and some worksheets where you can fill out the data that we would need, and then we can take it from there. Okay, I'll give you a call then Monday. Okay, well, thank you for calling. Thank you for All right, bye-bye. What's new in the world of retirement planning? It's better late than never for those who procrastinated and haven't uh, saved up for retirement. You're right, Lynn. Those who are in their late 40s, 50 years old, and all of a sudden they're realizing that they haven't saved a penny for retirement, and they're waking up to the nagging fact that they only have 10 or 20 years maybe to save for retirement, and they've been paying attention to everything else but never really got around to doing it. And so what can they do? Is it too late? And you need to look at how your money can grow if you start now. It's better late than never, right? Right. If you are in your 40s or 50s and wanting to to start somewhere, you can look at downsizing your home, right? Right. And even before that, if you are able to downsize or if you're not able to downsize, even putting aside $100 a week, if you've got 20 years to go, Exactly. If you assume that, that maybe you could get a 10% return, then you could look at 20 years down the road, maybe accumulating close to $300,000. Right. Um, I but, guess you wouldn't want to turn that down, would you? Well, at, at 65? <laughs> it's just, it's an encouraging thing to realize that it may not be so late as you think. You can still start now, even with a small amount, because you do have years still ahead of you. And better, better late than never, because a lot of people whose homes have appreciated greatly in value could consider selling it or moving to a less expensive one. If you got into a home, you spent maybe $75,000 on that home 20 years ago. You raised your children. It's now worth, say, $350,000. You could sell that house and have $350,000 and pay no taxes on it and have that money to invest. And that's really one way to do it. Or you could buy a smaller house. Uh, you could go ahead and get a smaller house with a mortgage. There are a number of ways, but in the downsizing, by freeing up the equity, that's one way to get a hunk of money out and get it into investments to help you catch up for time lost. Now, another thing that you can look at if you're late in life uh, with your savings is restructure your debt. Even if you can't sell your home, consider refinancing your mortgage. 
Yeah, that's not a bad idea because if you go ahead, there are a couple ways to restructure your debt. You could go ahead and actually take out a new loan and bring out more debt out of your home. That's one way to do it and get that money invested. Or you could go ahead and consolidate some of your other debts and pay them off by taking more money out on the home. But in the re- looking at the debt itself, the restructuring and the, re- and the consolidation are very often ways that you can give yourself more money to invest. Now, isn't it true, Doug, that if you do restructure your credit card debt, and let's say that you took out a loan on your home equity, say you had some equity and you could, you could take out a home equity loan and lower the payments. But the other thing is, and the only reason you should do this is if the difference that you've saved in your payments goes into investment. If you simply do that and have more money to spend, then you haven't achieved anything. All you've really done then is got yourself deeper into debt. What's another thing you can do? Well, you can also look at contributing to your 401k. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a 401k or any type of plan at work that lets you set aside pre-tax pay or contribute as much as you're allowed then if you can afford it, do it. Now, the contributions actually lower your taxable income. And in some cases, employers match a portion of the contributions, which is sort of like getting a huge boost in your return. For example, let's say that an employer is matching 50 cents on the dollar up to 6% contribution. That's a very typical formula that I've seen. Right. Well, that means that if you're putting in $100 and your employer is putting in 50 for you, that's like getting a 50% return on your money right away and before the money even grows at all. So that's a wonderful thing to look at. Uh, only the most hairy-knuckled investment you could think of uh, could give you something like that. And if you're a teacher or a nonprofit worker, then there are plans like 403B plans, uh, and they work very much like the 401Ks, but they also let you put in amounts in a tax-deferred basis. Now, another thing that you can also look at um, if you're late saving here in the 40s and 50s is put your money into a Roth IRA. And that grows tax-free. It does not give you a tax deduction. But what happens is the money inside that you put in, it grows tax-free, and you can get that out tax-free. That's very attractive. Now, another thing you need to look at is investing for growth. Because even late starters have long-term investing horizons, which means that you can take on the added risk of investing in stocks or stock mutual funds. Right, Doug? Yes, stocks are going to traditionally, or at least historically they have, uh, run ahead of other investment types. And so it makes sense to put your money in stock mutual funds in many cases. You need to resist, however, the temptation to bet on the riskiest investments in order to catch up because you can't afford that kind of risk. Uh, but there are some lower to moderate risk stock funds, which I like. There are funds like growth and income funds and equity income funds. Uh, there are balanced funds. There are utility stock funds. And these kinds of funds are very suitable even for people starting as late as their 50s. Now, another thing that you can do to offset your late start on a savings plan is take stock. If you haven't saved anything, then you're probably not starting out with zero because if you're a middle-income couple in your, say, mid-40s, maybe you're going to get roughly 30000 a year in retirement from Social Security. Yeah, right now, Social Security replaces about one-third of the average annual pre-retirement income for individuals who are earning between thirty and 60000 a year. So if that couple has managed to accumulate something by now, whether it's in IRAs or pensions or home equity, whatever it is, then these assets could also generate income in retirement in addition to the Social Security. So to figure out how much your assets are going to generate and how much you'll need to supplement them, you need to include Social Security and probably use one of the software packages that's out there. Don't overlook that piece of it, at least. And work with a financial planner that can assist you in in planning on retirement. Right, Doug? Right. The main thing is get help. Get help with some professional. It makes sense to pay for some good advice. Don't go to a salesperson. Pay an hourly fee for a certified financial planner uh, who works on a fee basis, and uh, you will find that it's well worth the money that you spend, and it should be a major priority. You've already taken care of the other priorities, supposedly. You've put the kids through college. You've done all the other things. Now make yourself 
a major priority. And I would say aim to save 10%. 10% of your gross income, that will go ahead and do an awful lot over the years remaining. So it may not be too late. Just get help right now and dig in and do it. It's it's really helpful, isn't it, Doug, to go ahead and do a cash flow analysis to see where you can squeeze out that money because if you do a budget, you can find that extra money that maybe you're spending on other expenses that uh, could be going into the savings plan and make a priority and work with a financial planner. And then there's some other kind of people, aren't there? Well, the ones who also, have saved. Exactly. There are the others who have been diligent in, uh, over the years, re- contributing to maybe to the retirement plan at work. And now they've got this nice, big, fat retirement plan. But uh, a lot of what's happening in corporate America is the downsizing. And what do you think people should think about? Well, I think they should think about it exactly as you say. They ought to be very careful. A lot of times you can look at that 401k plan and you can say, golly, $300,000 in there. Or you might even look at it and say a half a million bucks. And then you might say, I guess I can tell the boss bye-bye and just quit retire now, but think you better think that one through a little more carefully because a lot of times the numbers don't really answer the question. Uh, That's you, really true. Maybe it's a small fortune, but you might want to look at uh, figuring out how much is really going to be enough for you to retire. Yeah, there's a there's a, a way to do the numbers and to precisely nail the answers down. Um, and you can use softwares to do that. You can actually get very, very close. I know in, in our practice, we actually get very specific. Uh, you can do this approximately, or you can go ahead and do it specifically. But if you want to do it approximately, just to shock yourself a little bit, take your $300,000 and maybe say 8% is your yield. So if you say $300,000 is producing an 8% yield, then how much income is that going to generate, Linda? 24000 a year. Right. Three times eight is dollars $24,000. And let's say you had $400,000, then yep. how much is that going to generate? Okay. Your portfolio might generate about 32000 So now the big question, could you live on 24000 a year or 32000 a year? Exactly. How much? And that goes back to looking at the living expenses, right? Right. I think it might be difficult because you also have to go ahead and figure taxes in there. Now, maybe if you've paid off all your debt, and you paid off uh, your college expenses for tuition, and the kids are grown, and you're in good health, you might be able to swing it. But you also want to keep in mind that if you do quit and retire, then what about your medical insurance? You're going to have to start paying for that, at least until you reach 65 when Medicare pays for it. And that could be another 4000 to $10,000 a year for medical insurance. Now, you do need to look on the positive side a little bit, right, Doug? Right. There are some positives, of course. And maybe you have a working spouse whose health plan is going to cover you, or maybe your employer provides retiree medical coverage. And maybe you could move to a low-cost town and work part-time so that you won't have to spend as much of your income each year. And if you throw in your other assets, let's say you have savings, your rental income, your options, your severance pay, maybe some trust funds, and you don't want to forget your spouse's retirement assets because if you look at all of this, you might realize that your dream of retirement and retiring early could be a reality if it all adds up right. If you would like some help personally, call my office during the week. That number at the office is 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And we'll see about setting up an appointment to meet with you or have another financial planner meet with you and show you how to actually do it step by step if you like. I know in our financial planning practice, Linda, you and I always focus people on two things, putting down their living expenses and writing down their questions before going to see us as financial planners. Well, Lynn, what's new in the area of retirement planning? Well, Doug, um, you know, there are some common misconceptions about IRAs, aren't there? There really are, Linda. A lot of people don't understand things about IRAs. And uh, since IRAs often represent a significant portion of a retiree's net worth, many planning opportunities are available to the informed if such uh, answers can be got. Now, the first misconception that people have, it seems to me, is that minimum distribution decisions must be made when the IRA owner 
reaches 70 and a half years old. But actually, that's not true. The required distribution date, the beginning date, is not age 70 and a half, Lynn. It's actually April 1 of the calendar year after you turn 70 and a half. Now, what are the required minimum distributions based on? Well, they're going to be based on either the joint life expectancy of yourself, if it's your IRA, and your spouse or whoever the designated beneficiary is going to be uh, as of the time of that beginning date. If there is no designated beneficiary, uh, then the distribution is going to be based on a single life as if it was just you. Now, there is a second misconception that some folks have about IRAs as individual retirement accounts is that you cannot change. Some people think that you cannot change the beneficiary of an IRA after the required beginning date. Is that true? Yeah, you're right, Lynn. That is a misconception. The beneficiary of an IRA actually can be changed anytime you want while the IRA owner is alive. It's the payout method that gets locked in, not the beneficiary. And that payout method gets locked in at the required beginning date. Now, the key to remember here is that if the beneficiary is changed after the retired required beginning date, then the minimum required distributions may need to be increased, but they're never allowed to be decreased. Now, this is a misconception here. Um, if the IRA owner dies after his or her required beginning date, with a spouse named as beneficiary, then the spouse is locked into the minimum distribution schedule of the IRA owner. Is that is that a misconception? Yeah, that's another mistake that people hold. They think that once you've set up your uh, minimum distribution and it's locked in and uh, you're married, that if one spouse dies, that lock-in minimum payment has to be continued to the next to their surviving spouse. And that's not so. At the IRA owner's death, the spouse can then treat the IRA as if it were his or her own IRA and do what we call a spousal rollover and just roll the money over into her IRA. And then she has the choice of naming a new beneficiary and calculating new minimum distributions just as if she was the account owner herself from the beginning. So uh, a lot of people are confused about what has to happen with those minimum distributions on IRAs at death. You can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919-USA-7000. That's 919-872-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. A fourth misconception is uh, that naming a charity or a charitable remainder trust as partial beneficiary of an IRA may be a wise planning decision. Is that true? Well, if you do, it may be a terrible planning mistake to really do something like that. Because when calculating the minimum distributions from an IRA that has multiple beneficiaries, uh, the IRS looks for you to look at the worst case beneficiary for determining life expectancy. And since a charity is not a person, that's going to be the worst case because the charity doesn't have a life expectancy and so it's going to bump back to single life. Now, uh, there's a solution. There's actually a couple of solutions to this problem. One solution is you can go ahead and break your IRA into a couple of IRAs and then let one IRA, if you want part of it to go to a charity, let part of it go that way. Another way is to use a charitable remainder trust. And I like this one a lot, Linda. I do this a number of times in my, in, 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 uh, with my clients where we set up a charitable remainder trust as the beneficiary of, and there's no taxes paid whatsoever. Now, this is definitely a sophisticated strategy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This is, you don't try this one on your own. That's like brain surgery. You, you, you don't do this one on your own. But it works in a wonderful way if you can run the numbers and if you see what's happening there. Okay, Doug. There, uh, now, a fifth misconception is that IRAs invested in mutual funds and CDs are an excellent liquid asset for paying estate taxes. Is that a misconception? That's another one of those big no, 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 wrong, wrong answer that people have about IRAs. IRAs that are left intact at death can continue to grow and grow for decades. In fact, with proper planning, a large IRA can provide for the owner and the spouse during their lives and then later provide for the IRAs owner's children during their lifetimes. And if you would like any other information, you can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919 USA 7000, that's 919-872-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. Alex, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I yeah. help you? Um, Doug, I'm 
I have got some real estate, and we sold sold some property uh, and self financed approximately uh, two hundred thousand, and uh, self financed it on a fifteen year uh, loan, eight percent callable in five years for adjustable. Uh, we've got some more that's on the market. The same party is interested in some more, uh, roughly a hundred thousand dollar piece um, that we would like to liquidate, and um, which also uh, we could self-finance, and I'm just wondering if that's the way to go or or just what there. Um. In other words, you're, you're owning the property, and you've got buyers, but the buyers want you to finance it. Well, not so much so they want me to finance it as I was uh, I was pursuing that myself because I didn't want the big tax bite. All right, that was going to be my question. What is the cost basis in the 100000 The The 200 one's already done, right? Yes. All right, so nothing we can do to help that one. What's the cost basis in the hundred thousand dollar one? Oh, approximately um, fifty thousand. All right, so you're facing a fifty thousand dollar capital gain. Right. I. Uh, it's a it's a tricky. You're very close there. Uh, first of all, the better way to do it, if you could do it, is to sell the whole thing for cash and pay no capital gains tax. Oh, that'd be great. Right. Well, that's the one we do for our clients in our office all the time. The way you do that, however, is you have to do it with there's got to be no mortgage debt on it. So uh, it's got to be it's got to be clean without a mortgage debt on it. And we set up a charitable trust and we transfer the deed of the property into the charitable trust and then let the charitable trust sell it to the buyer for cash and pay no capital gains tax at all. So the whole hundred thousand then comes back to the charitable trust. Okay, now do. And I draw off of the charitable trust. How does that work? The charitable trust is set up to pay you income for the rest of your life and the rest of your wife's. Are you married, Alex? Yes. All right. The charitable trust is typically set up to where it pays you and your wife income for the rest of your lives, just like a pension. Okay. And then we can name beneficiaries for the trust. The trust beneficiaries will be a charity of some sort or a family foundation, a charitable family foundation. Mm, okay. I follow you on that. Now, if we want the principal to go to children, we set up a second trust with life insurance to replace what goes into the charitable trust. So if it was a $100,000 piece of real estate and we wanted to make sure not only did we get the retirement income off it, but we wanted also the 100000 to go to our children after we died, then we'd set up a $100,000 life insurance policy in a separate trust that would go to the children after our deaths. If, on the other hand, we were happy with a family foundation, uh, do you have other real estate or are these the last two pieces you got? No, I have some more. Possibly another fifty, $60,000 piece of property could be sold also. Also with capital gain problem? Yes. Mm-hmm. How Not many what? children do you have, Alex? Two. How many children? Are oh, you two? Uh-huh. Two children, yes. Yeah, yeah. In other words, when you finance a piece of property, you're really not doing anything to help on the taxes. All you're doing is spreading the pain over a number of years. Right. Yeah, you're not saving any taxes there. Well, deferring some to maybe to a, a lesser income years down the road somewhere. Yeah, they, it it rarely works that way. Besides, if you had the whole lump sum up front and had it invested, you'd make much more anyway by the time the thing was paid off. Yeah. What uh, What kind of investment would that chair, what would that be put in, and what type of uh, income would that charitable trust generate? Well, it's totally up to you because we make you the trustee of the trust. So you control it. So together, you and your financial planner either put it in stock mutual funds or bond mutual funds or international mutual funds or variable annuities or any type of investment you want. Yeah, but you've got risk involved with it, too. Well, there's, I mean, you got risk involved in real estate too. Well, that's true. But I mean, it, it, there's, it, you don't have to take risk. You can invest it in treasury bonds if you want, guaranteed U.S. treasuries. It, what I'm saying is the choice is totally up to you. Right. But the real estate to me is much riskier. You can be less risky than the real estate for sure. When you go ahead and finance a piece of property, I got a client just did one recently. He financed a warehouse for $500,000 and thought it was going along wonderfully. Now the guy can't make the payments and he's got to go ahead and repossess the property and go through the whole thing all over again. Uh, no, I, I never like you carrying your own debt. I think you can do much better. Besides, you can do it tax-free. Okay, we're glad to hear that. Well, thank you for okay. calling. If and, I can... and if you know, if we can assist you in any other way, I think it would be good for you to, to jot down some questions that you have about this. 
and work with a financial planner. And, uh, you know, before, certainly if you wanted more in, uh, information regarding this, uh, trust strategy, uh, we'd be happy to provide that for you. And if you, if you'd like, you could call our office, Alex. Right. That number is 8727000 in Raleigh. 8727000 in Raleigh. Right. All right. Thank you for calling. Okay. Thanks a lot. You know, Linda, if you think in terms of chickens and eggs, okay, chickens are your principal, eggs are your income. Whoever controls the chickens wins. Now, when Alex decides he's going to finance, the other guy is holding the chickens. The, the whole matter of self-financing is just, it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And anyone who ever has worked any of the numbers can see you could double your money. If I had the same $200,000 in my pot over here versus financing it over 15 years for a guy, we'd end up with a million dollars. And the other guy and the self-financing would have spent the whole thing. Right. Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 605 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.